making myself cry already. I did predict that you would cry during worship, and you did. I saw you do it. I told Tatum and Abe and Tom that you would, and you did. All right. So uh, my message this morning is the kingdom of the manger, and obviously we just got back from uh, Jerusalem, which is the city of the great king. It's the place that Jesus is going to rule from forever, and the one thing that struck me over and over from the minute that we walked through the city until the day that we left was all of the pushing. There's so much pushing in this city, and I'm not, I'm not just talking like religious idea pushing. There is a ton of that. There's just pushing. Like There's a lot of crowded, zealous activity, greed. There's just so much pushing in this city. And what I want to talk about today is the way that Jesus was an entirely different witness of the kingdom of God, a non-pushing witness of the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of the manger is the title of the message. Jesus is a king, but he's not an earthly one. Now, this is practical. This is practical for us in the way that we live in the city of Kalamazoo or in Grand Rapids or Matawan, wherever we live. This is practical for the way that we trust God to accomplish the things that he's put in our heart. Jesus' kingdom vision is lowly and meek, like the vision of the entire kingdom. So right now there are 10,000 times 10,000 ministers of flame around God's throne right now. They're looking at this one that we're celebrating today that was born in a manger. They're all literally filled with a vision of lowliness and meekness. That makes that place easy to be in. You ever been around lowly, meek people? They're easy to be around. Like, they're actually really fun to be around. They're looking for what would make you feel better. Heaven is full of people like this. Not born like this. Changed to become people like this. Angels that didn't rebel out of it. Right? The rebellion of Satan, it sifted out heaven in a big way. And God liked that. God wanted that to happen. He wanted a company of beings that are meek and lowly, like him. He said, if you've seen me, if Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we have to actually look. God said this to me this morning. He said, can you see the Father in the manger? Can you see that this is the nature of God? The Father in the manger. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So you have to look at all of who Jesus is. The King of Kings was presented in the maximum expression of weakness and vulnerability, which is what we're celebrating today. And I just appreciate Angie saying, well, you know, it doesn't look like this is your birthday. Just according to the biblical passages, the way the weather was, shepherds out in the field, like there's lots of reasons that you could historically say this probably wasn't the exact time of year that he was born. But one thing that really struck Samantha and I as we're going from holy site to holy site, just places that we've taken for granted as like that's where that happened, Every, everything is in dispute, literally everything, every place. So where people think Jesus was buried, one church, you know, one denomination, the Baptists think it's this place. The Catholics think it's this place. The Orthodox, they kind of think that too, but they think it's the wrong place in the same building. Like, so they all have their own little shrine to the tomb of Christ. So if you're like, if you're going to go see the tomb of Jesus in Jerusalem, there's like six places you got to go. And five of them are all in the same building. And they take turns asserting, pushing, this is the right place. And they try to do it better than the other guy, so they attract more people to their idea. Do you see the manipulation in all that? Where Jesus, he lays there vulnerable Actually, not trying to convince anyone of anything. He is who he is. He is who he is, and that will never change. Nothing will ever change that. Nobody's bad ideas, nobody's bad explanation, nobody's misunderstanding will never change that. He is who he is, and it's not going to move. 
in the entire spinning of the planets and the stars and the galaxies and the universe, it will all eventually center on the darling of heaven. He will not move. And God will not let him be disqualified. He is who he is, okay? Luke 2, 11 to 12. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, this was a sign. This was a brand new idea. Nobody was expecting the Messiah to come weak and vulnerable, a baby. This was a, a miraculous sign that confused everyone. We have the benefit of 2,000 years looking back, and we're like, of course, he came as a baby. That's the Christmas story. But this was brand new information to these shepherds. And isn't it interesting that God chose to tell shepherds this information? This never changed. This idea that this is the Messiah, weak, lowly, lying in a manger, swaddling clothes, that never changed. Jesus never grew out of that. Listen to this, Matthew eleven twenty-five to 30. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to, let's all say it together, reveal him. You can't see the manger correctly lest the Holy Spirit reveal to you what it means, what it is. It's very emotional. It's, it appeals to the flesh. The manger appeals to the flesh. We think to ourselves, oh, isn't that a great story? Isn't that a humble beginning? But it's way more than that. The Spirit, if we'll let him, will reveal to us that is the power of the entire kingdom laying in that manger. That the manger itself is the stage of not just Jesus' birth, it's the stage of Jesus' lordship forever. He will never leave the reality that he came lowly, wrapped in swaddling clothes to a manger. He will never leave that reality. He'll never grow up out of that. And we have to be a people that recognize he's not a baby in a manger anymore, but the heart that decided to put him in that manger hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. The father was in that manger. That was, if you've seen Jesus there, that's the father's nature is to actually not assert or push anything on anyone, but to be available to anyone that wants him. He's available to anyone that wants him. This is so important. This, the culmination of all this pushing, all this asserting, all this wanting everyone else to get it so that we can move forward in the earth, all of that, what it will, the, the logical conclusion of all that pushing is a completely divided city where everyone wants the same things for their own selfish reasons and won't give. And God says it's ripe for crushing. It's ripe for destruction. And if you walk through the city of Jerusalem, it's amazing. I mean, it's got the Jewish quarter, the Armenian quarter, the Christian quarter, the Arabic quarter, the Muslim quarter. In those quarters... Each one of those quarters is completely divided. There's the Orthodox, there's the Lutheran, I mean, there's the Orthodox Jew, the conservative Jew, the Reformed Jew. Like, th these quarters are completely divided. In homes, they're completely, it's the absolute hardness of heart results in all of these very sharp edges in a city that's compact, according to the Bible, and close together. And I can tell you it's still that way. It's still compact, close together, and what you feel as you walk through its streets is pushing. And mostly trading, mostly wanting. The entire Temple Mount, this is amazing to me, is surrounded by markets. Like the entire city that's supposed to be inhabited by the bride of Christ, the pillars in the temple that never go out, what's occupying it right now are stores. Thousands of stores. 
And they're all selling basically the same 23 items, for real. There's rings, there's necklaces, there's scarves, but they all have the same merchandise. It's a really bizarre area, really crazy. Okay, I don't want to get on too many more chills about Jerusalem. Matthew 11, 25 to 30. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, no, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son of God, the, whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Now, this is Jesus just in, the, in his earthly ministry, the last couple of years of his life. He never changed. He never went. He never graduated from the manger. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we could get a hold of the fact that God made us and we've been safe from the day that we were born. He put us in. He, he, the amazing thing is God brings us into the world in the most vulnerable way you'll ever be. You're most vulnerable when you're born. And he gives you to completely incompetent people to raise you. For real. I mean, Sam and I, when we had kids, we had no idea what to do. You guys probably had no idea what to do. Tom, I assume you had no idea what to do. Still don't. Amen. And that's good. Because we have a father who does, and for some reason has kept us all this time. You are completely safe until he takes you home. You really are. And the whole point of our 70 or 80 years for strength is to come to the conclusion, I've always been safe. Why? Why have I always been safe? And Jesus, he led as a witness. The light that came into the world was a light that said you can come vulnerable, you can come weak, you can come broken, you can come not knowing what to do, and there is one who made you, who formed you in the womb, and he will not let you go. If you trust him, you'll benefit from that reality. But there's people that don't trust him, that hate him, that don't even believe he exists, that are still benefiting from the reality that he made them, and he's committed to keeping them until they don't want him anymore. Till they completely decide they don't want him anymore. So our, our goal is to decide, I don't have to push for anything. I don't have to push for the food that I need. I don't have to push for the time that I need. I don't have to push for people to get my ideas. I don't have to push for my future. I don't have to push for the promises he gave me. Actually, what I need to do is yield the leadership of all these things to the one who made me. And what I'll find is an easy yoke and a light burden, and I'll do the things that please him. That's what he wants, okay? He wants to be with us together. Jesus represents a kingdom whose vision, strength, glory, and beauty is indiscernible to natural eyes. You can't see this with the way you were born thinking, the way you were born feeling, or the things that you naturally, like everybody else, want to do. You actually have to die to all of these natural strengths and let him show you something you can't see with your own eyes. Okay? Now, I don't want you to take my word for that. I want to show you something. Mary, Joseph, Simeon, Anna, the wise men, and the shepherds, they discerned who Jesus was in the story, in the, the Christmas story, the nativity story. They literally all had heavenly help. Every one of those characters had an angelic encounter, a prophetic word, an angel who appeared to them. They had scriptures and a sign in the stars. They all had heavenly help to see something the entire rest of the world couldn't see. Literally could not see that the... the the earth had completely changed with the birth of Jesus. It will never be the same again. It will always, we're always going to be post-birth. Right now we are living post-birth. That's good news. You got it made. The Messiah came. The Messiah came. That's great. Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds all had angelic encounters. Simeon and Anna, they discerned who Jesus was. Holy Spirit revealed it to them clearly according to the passages. 
The wise men had scriptures and a sign. They knew who he was, and they followed a star. They said, the star appeared. We followed it. We know who he is. It's a Jewish king. They all had help seeing that. So my point is, if you're like, I know the Christmas story. I know the nativity. I know the gospels. I know the Sermon on the Mount. It makes sense to me. It's a better way to live. You're actually not being shown something by the Holy Spirit. There's so much more to the nativity than we can see. There will be in a million years. We will still be like, this is God. This is a a God who embraces our weakness and our vulnerability. I mean, I'm not even scratching the surface of what we'll be talking about in a million years about the nature of the Father and his decision to make us and provide for us for billions of years and something in the arrogance of the human flesh that worries daily about our provision. Isn't that crazy? We didn't make ourselves. Our Savior came. Not only did he come, he came vul- more vulnerable than, than a per- as vulnerable as a person could be. He's a baby. He came the, as vulnerable as any other person who's ever lived on this planet. A baby born to kids that didn't know what they were doing. And one of them was probably accused of being an adulteress from the time that she got conceived, you know, conceived of Jesus. This, this is one a great story. It is a great story, though. It's not a story of strength. It's a story of vulnerability. It's a story about a God who likes our vulnerability. He likes our weakness. He likes our need for him. There's no record of anyone in the Bible ever discerning Jesus except by the Holy Spirit, except by heavenly help. Not one. You won't find any stories of that. Literally, no one just gets Jesus. You can't be taught him. You can't be raised into him. You can't be forced into him. You can only be led into him if you're willing to follow. That's it. That's the only way to find him. So this should take a ton of weight off of us. I just got to learn more. No, you got to see more. I just got to know more. I just got to do more. No, I got to rest more. I got to let him do more in me. I got to actually be like that, that manger kingdom, not like the kingdoms of the Roman armies, not like the kingdoms of the Jewish kings. You know, what made David so incredibly unique is missed by everybody waiting for David. David was a man after God's heart. He did things that wouldn't make sense to nobody right now. And they didn't in his day either. It's just easy in retrospect with no faith to be like, oh, it works. Let's get something that works. Romans 8, 14 to 16. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. How many of us have fear? We're supposed to repent of that fear. What, What fear primarily is Paul talking about? Fear of not measuring up. Religious fear. I mean, that's what he's preaching. Fear of not doing the law right. Fear of, of missing it. We weren't, that's not the spirit. <laughs> that's not the spirit. That will cause you to emanate fruit of pushing, of fear, of anxiety, of impatience, and it's resulting. The city of Jerusalem, I'm telling you, from my observation, it's some of the most dedicated people. I've, Sam kept saying it over and over. The dedication of these people is unreal. But that will never make the kingdom of God come. It's keeping people out. There's only one thing that will. And David tells us, you know, Psalm 27, 4, one thing. <laughs> it's sitting at his feet. It's being a witness of a person who can be vulnerable and still safe. That's the witness of the cross. That's the witness of the manger.
The Spirit himself bears witness. Uh, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That cry, that prayer, Abba, Father, that's what every dad wants to hear. That's what God wants to hear. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's how, if you want to know if you're saved, the Holy Spirit has to tell it to you. You have to have the internal witness of the Spirit saying, yes, you are needing God in a way that has connected you to him, that is making you safe. The Spirit bears witness of this vulnerability. The Spirit bears witness of this childhoodness. You literally cannot see the beauty of Jesus in the manger in Israel during his earthly ministry or the love of Jesus on the cross without divine revelation. And I think all of us have had some, some part of that experience where God, we knew about the cross, we heard about it, and then at some point we're just meditating on who he is and he connects us to what he's done for us and we're broken inside and we're suddenly like, oh, I didn't see that. It takes the spirit to reveal all these things, not just the cross. The cross is probably one of the easier places to touch this reality just because it's so traumatic. It's so emotionally disruptive that it actually causes you to say, oh, what is this? But every, every aspect of who Jesus is is all revealing a father that we just, our flesh cannot know him. It says, it's, he said to Nicodemus, said, flesh and blood cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see the manger with your own logic, your own understanding, and your own thought. You can trick yourself, though, that you're seeing something, but it will just not lead you to the right place. So you literally can't see the beauty of Jesus in the manger during his earthly ministry or on the cross without divine revelation. It's like a seed. He must be received. He can't be taken or given. He can't be traded. You can't trade Jesus. You can't be like, okay, I'll get this from you. I'll give you this thing that I know. And it's very tempting in a prayer room environment to be like, hey, we just need to hear what each other is thinking. I've said this many times. It doesn't work like that. We can't trade him like trading cards. Like, okay, you got the quarterback. I want the receiver. We actually have to let revelation go into our hearts like a seed that we don't even quite understand and let the Holy Spirit grow some reality of the kingdom inside of us, okay? That's what really what Jesus in the manger is. And I just pray for all of us that this Christmas, this day, we just let that picture in and let God tell us something we don't know about it. Otherwise, it's just, it's the day that we, yeah, we do that. We do the presents. We do the food. That's so dead. There's something God wants to talk to us about, about vulnerability in this place where, his, where the king of kings came. John 13, 5. After that, he poured water into a basin. Now, the Lord actually took me to this passage this morning and asked me to spend the most of the time on this passage, okay? Because right now, we're, we're coming to a point in human history where the pushing is going to create divisions and hardness and realities that are going to set the entire world up to be crushed by the sun. It's going to be so unflexible, inflexible, the church I'm talking about, that when Jesus comes, it's going to crack under the weight of his glory, of who he is. Unless we come out and let him make us alive in a, a humble revelation of the way that his kingdom is different than what we want in our flesh. Does that make sense? It'll make more sense as I read this passage. Okay, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So this is the, obviously the, the Last Supper. He's washing his disciples' feet. It's one of the last acts that he does before he goes to the cross. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, 
but you will know after this. Everybody say, don't understand. Do you think Peter believed Jesus right then that he didn't understand what Jesus was doing? No. (laughs) He kept telling Jesus what to do. He wasn't like, oh, okay, I don't get it. Go ahead, Jesus. He didn't even hear Jesus say, you don't understand. He just kept telling Jesus what ought to be done, okay? We do this. That's why the Lord had me highlight this, okay? Because Peter thought he was being humble. He wasn't being humble. He was being super arrogant. Okay, so Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He wasn't humbled even by Jesus being like, dude, you can't be a part of my company if you don't let me wash your feet. He kept telling Jesus what to do. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. He was actually holding out an invitation to the manger, to these guys. He was holding out an invitation for them to be like changeable, movable, soft. But they, they didn't all want, he knew they didn't all want to. And he wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about Judas. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed, stick with me here for just a second. Their feet, taken his garments and sat down again. He said to them, He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Now, he's talking to them about teaching. Just stick with me for a second. He's trying to show them the way that he was teaching, okay? Because he refers to himself as teacher and Lord. So not just teaching, but also leading. He's like, you're right. I am your teacher, and I am your Lord. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, he's talking about teaching. You get what I'm saying? Because it's very tempting to see this thing and be like, oh, he's actually talking about service. He's not. The washing of the feet was a teaching moment. It was a leadership moment. And he says it clearly right here. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who who is sent greater than he who sent him. Again, he's still talking to them about teaching and about leading. It'd be very tempting to think he's talking to them about washing, but he's not. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now, Jesus had chosen something, right? He chose 11. There are 12 there. Who chose that Judas would not receive? Judas. Jesus chose the 11, and he chose Judas. He doesn't say, I'm excluding Judas. I chose you guys. He says, I know who I chose. Many Many are called, few are chosen. Judas chose to not receive what Jesus was doing. Even Peter received what Jesus was doing eventually. Okay, so if you know these things, you're blessed are you. If you do them, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whoever I, whomever I send receives me. He's talking about receiving something. Okay, so when we read this, this parable, or this, it's not even a parable. When we read this account, there's something to be received prophetically. Not just by looking at it and being like, okay, he's saying take care of each other or do the low thing or, you know, do the humble thing. That's, that's not at all what he's saying, though he's saying all of those things. He's talking about 
how much a person would do for someone else, okay? Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. As Jesus did for the disciples, we must do the same for each other. Washing the feet is way different than cleansing the whole body. So when you think about spreading the gospel, when you think about teaching somebody, when you think about leading somebody, it'd be very tempting to think, I got to lead that whole thing into clarity. I got to lead that whole thing until that whole thing is, is the same as me, understands the same thing I do. And Jesus is like, that's like Peter saying, wash the whole body. Or I could say, that's not my role. I'm not supposed to teach anybody anything. I'm just supposed to be here getting taught myself. No, that's not your role either. That's Peter saying, no, you're never going to wash me. It's this washing feet. You do the thing that the Father says needs to be done, and that's it. No more. You actually humble yourself to the fact that you need a leadership that's outside of the flesh. Now, Peter, he, he, he was all in. He's either like, you're going to do it all for me or you're going to do nothing for me. He was just self-led into righteousness. And Jesus is trying to say something to him that is, I know from the Father what you need. Let me do the thing that you need right now. I'm not going to save all of you right this second. You're not ready to receive it anyway. And I'm not going to let go of you either. I'm going to do the thing that needs doing right now. When Jesus came and he's laying in that manger, he's vulnerable, totally vulnerable, totally has to be moved. I mean, he can't feed himself. He can't, you know, diaper himself. God, he liked sending the Savior of the world this way. And Jesus never graduated from that. Even in the upper room, even when everything should be about, Jesus, how are you feeling tonight, man? And he's like, this is the thing that needs doing right now. Not more and not less. This thing needs doing. He was meek and lowly right unto the cross. That's what he was asking his disciples to follow him in. Not to tell the whole world about him. Not to not tell the world about him but to do the thing day by day, moment by moment, that the Father was saying to do. You see what I'm saying? This is the kingdom of a manger. This is a kingdom that is entirely different than anything the world has ever seen, and the world even can't now receive it, and the worldly church can't understand it. It just wants to push everybody into its version of this is where it's at. This is the day. I mean, just look at Christmas and and Easter and Halloween. It's insane. How many people are angry about Christmas or angry about Easter or angry about Halloween? Like, these, these are meaningless things. What matters is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us about what we need and what the people around us need. This is 1 Corinthians 12, a Holy Spirit-led honor and watching each other and listening to each other and receiving and planting and sowing alive. And not worried about everybody else messing it up or not getting it or getting it or the momentum that comes from a few people understanding each other. It's totally different than that. Jesus was not excited by the multitudes that came and sat at his feet and he sifted them. Nor was he disappointed when everybody left. He just was walking out faithfulness as a witness that this is the kingdom of God. This is the way the kingdom of God works. This is what Christmas is really about. Or should be. Is this what Christmas is about? No. Almost entirely not. Even if we can touch the religious aspects of Christmas, we feel a little bit better about touching the religious aspects of it, we don't really get to the vulnerability of it. We'd like Christmas a lot more if we did. We'd all enjoy it tons more if we did. And I'm talking about me, not not just you. 
Jesus' greatest expression of lordship and teaching is to wash the feet of his disciples. We aren't permitted to teach or lead more than Jesus, according to this passage. We can't do more than this. He's like, I'm the master. The servant is not greater than the master. If I'm like Peter, no, I'm not washing your whole body. Peter, no, I'm not letting go of you. I'm washing your feet. Do as I've done. This is how I've called my disciples to follow. Are you guys following me? The flesh, mind, will, and emotions cannot discern Jesus. He didn't convince or push flesh ever. He never pushed flesh to see something, to receive something, to do something. He lived as a witness. He was like that baby in the manger all the way until the cross. He was the same God-man. He didn't make anybody do anything, nor will he ever. He simply is. That's what God said to Moses. When I go to them, I'm going to tell them who you are. What's your name again? He says, I am. <laughs> I am. That's what's in the manger. I am. The flesh or the mind, will, and emotions cannot discern Jesus. It either is indifferent or wants to kill him. You hear what I'm saying? The way you were born thinking, the way you were born feeling, and the what you want to do without repenting into an actual spirit-led life, it's either indifferent to Jesus or wants to kill him. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't use him, that you don't trade him, that you don't take pieces, the pieces that you want, and construct a whole new Jesus that just kind of does, thing things, does things and thinks things that you like. Everybody's doing that. Everybody. But to be really born again, is to actually get out of the indifference about him and out of the wanting to kill him and letting him take us somewhere to receive who he is and let it grow something like a seed, not knowing everything, not understanding everything, not remembering everything, not able to learn everything, but simply willing to have your feet washed and to wash other people's feet. Hopefully I'm tying this together a little bit that makes sense because it seems a little muddled to me, but I feel like this is what the Holy Spirit wanted me to say. It can't stay, the flesh can't stay in the narrow road of asking and receiving. It either runs ahead, it's got to figure everything out, do everything, get it, all, get, get, get it all done, like Sam was talking about. It's hard to just stay in the waiting of Jesus to come. It's like if you believe it and you embrace it, then you want to find all the ways to like help it or let it go. It's not happening right now. That's the flesh. That's the way the flesh deals with the coming of the Son of Man. But the truth is, there's something every single day to see in the coming of Jesus, every day, every moment. Like you're going to have probably six, seven times today where you could see something that would solidify your stance in the return of the Messiah and also humble your heart and soften you to be patient that no matter what happens, it's going to be good. And is anybody there yet? I'm not there yet. I either see something with my flesh and I'm like, yes, it's happening, and I want to go, okay, everybody, let's get this and go. Or I want to be, nobody could know, I don't know. I'm just going to kind of do my life until... I guess it happens to me. But the truth is the, the manger kingdom is available, it's present, and it's doing the thing. It's the process of, of a boy growing up to believe that he is the Messiah, and he is. He is. And we know it because he's changed us, right? That's how you know. The Spirit gives you a witness. This is the Son of God because he took a selfish person and he's making him less selfish. He took an impatient person. He's making him more patient. That's impossible, but by a miracle. He's taking an unfaithful person and teaching him faith. He's taking, that's how you know he is the Son of God. The Spirit bears witness that you are his child and that he's changing you. He's leading you, and it works. And we should all have that witness. I think we all do. Okay, so because of this, salvation isn't found in believing a doctrine. 
Believing Jesus is the Son of God, came from the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, or was raised again. None of those things will save you. Believing those things will not save you. I want to say that clear. None of these beliefs will save anyone, though they are all true in the common elements held by those being saved. These are the common, that's basically the Apostles' Creed that I just quoted to you. These are the common elements of our faith. Everybody who, who knows Jesus and believes the gospel and is being led by him, they believe those things, but just believing those things won't save you. You have to be led by him. <laughs> You have to have the witness of his life and his, his, the, the way he was a son revealing a father working in your heart, and then you hold those things with a living kingdom inside of you that's changing everything. Does that make sense? Otherwise, it's just like somebody could teach you that. You'd be like, okay, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. But listen, this is what the Bible says. James 2.19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The demons believe all of those things. They believe the doctrine. I mean, Satan uses the doctrine against us. They believe Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, if you look at the way Jesus walked through Capernaum, like tons of demons were like, you're the Son of God, you're here too early. They believe he's the Son of God. They know he came from the Virgin Mary. They saw him suffer under Pilate, and they saw him raised again. But the demons aren't saved. To be saved, you have to believe what God individually shows you to the point it changes you. There's something in the manger. Maybe we're tired of Christmas. Maybe we're tired of this part of the story. Maybe we're like, you know, this is for the baby beginners. This was good when I was 12. But there's something in this story that will change us, that will actually make us more peaceable, more powerful, more impactful. Jesus was not not impactful. He's still impacting us to this day. Paul is still impacting us to this day. Though he was imprisoned in chains, shipwrecked, beaten, he was despised by everyone with power in his generation. I mean, did you, you look at the interactions with him as he's in the court in Jerusalem, in the court, you know, on the way to Caesar. Like, these people, he was nothing. He was dust to them. He was ridiculous. He was kind of interesting for a minute, but then it was just weak. But he's impacting us to this day. We have to be a people like this. We have to see, oh, we're representing an entirely different, we're, we're representing the manger kingdom. That will change everything about the way we do the prayer. It will change everything the way, about the way we do think about evangelism, marriage, counseling, all this stuff should be completely witness-based. Witness-based. Oh, this is what he did for me. This is how he's changed my heart. This is how he's changed my mind. And there's something today that he wants to change. And there's some new way to see the living word. It's alive. It's not settled science. It's not static. It's not misunderstood and worthless. It's a living, breathing testimony of a man who's alive and is waiting, available for us to gaze on him and inquire in his temple. Then in the time of trouble, he'll hide us in that very thing because we just wanted to know how to know, like how to see how to understand. Those that laid eyes on the bronze. Okay, I, I forgot to read this passage. John 3, 14, 16. So someone might say to me, if I was like, you can believe all these things and I'd be saved. I might say, well, John 3, 16 says, everyone who believes has eternal life. But believes what? What exactly believes? John 3, 14 to 16. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And whoever believes that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is a Christmas story, right? How did he give his only begotten son? To a manger, vulnerable, weak, 
to two kids. One of them was kind of ostracized from her whole community. They're on the run. They run down to Egypt, right? They're not, they don't have deep roots anywhere. This is, this, is the, this is the begotten son given, okay? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Those that laid eyes on the bronze snake were healed. We have to lay eyes on Jesus more and more forever to the point we understand vulnerability is safety. Was anybody trying to kill Jesus in Bethlehem? Yes. Anybody going to try to kill you? According to the Bible, yes. There is persecution coming. I can tell you it's ripe. I, there, I've got a friend named Nicasio. Like, he lives in Africa. And every time he says something about what's about to happen, I feel the Holy Spirit say, listen. And he's talking about ministries being cast. He's just prophesying some of the same exact things I've been prophesying for 2023. There is, this is it. This is the line. This is the end. It really is. There's a persecution coming. The only way you're going to be safe is to be vulnerable. You see, this is really practical. What I'm saying is really practical. Jesus, he was completely safe. Satan sent a flood after the sun. Every newborn in Bethlehem, two years and under, was killed. But he told Joseph in a dream to go. When it was time, he brought Joseph back to Nazareth. People wanted to kill Jesus when he started his earthly ministry. There were crowds, more than once, crowds rushed to throw him off cliffs. Sam and I saw some of these cliffs. He walked right through the crowds. He was vulnerable, but he was safe. That's the only way you can be safe in what's coming, is to be vulnerable with your money, with your time, with the dreams that you feel like God's given you about this, or your family, or this city, or the return of Jesus. Vulnerable with your ideas about the return of Jesus. Vulnerable about your ideas of what he wants to do in the city or with his church. Vulnerable about what he's doing in your family. Anybody not know what exactly he's doing in their family <laughs> right this second? That's good. Stay there. That's okay. You can lay in that manger. It will be okay. If you know who he is, if you know who you are and who he is, and he made you, he's good, he's not going to let you fall. And the whole point of your life is to feel safe even though it doesn't look like you're safe. It's the whole point. It's why, we, it's why we come here and pray. This is the lifting him up or worship. Is this vulnerability is safety. Now, I say this because this, what was the snake, the bronze snake? What was Narushtan? He was the embodiment of their sin and the judgment therein. They looked at the very judgment and they got healed. Our vulnerability is nothing to be ashamed of. It's, the, it's what makes us human. It's what makes us made. It's what makes us owned. Our inability to perfectly execute righteousness is not anything to be ashamed of. It's to be embraced in repentance, that it's not okay, that God is worthy of a better version of me than I could ever be. Let some seed come in here and grow righteousness in me. Do you see what I'm saying? That's way different than convincing everyone of the right doctrine that you really haven't been changed by anyway. If that's what you're doing, you haven't been changed by it. It's different than going out and proselytizing a city into something that we don't even understand or do or look at right. It's just being vulnerable. It's being weak. Now, I'm not saying being lazy. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is being active in recognizing we could never be righteous. Noah, will God leave you in that place comfortable? No. <laughs> it's pain. It's pain to fail, to embrace it's okay. And then to realize 
that Jesus actually wants something from us that we can't give him. That's not lazy. (laughs) What I'm describing is not a laissez-faire attitude about your whole life and just kind of wandering around blithely. I can't do anything. I'm just a baby in a manger. That's not what Jesus did. But it's letting ourselves be formed by a patient God, by a kind God, by a generous God who never expects us to live holy without him ever. He never expects us to live holy without him ever. God is using the body of Jesus to sow this revelation continuously and prophetically. The revelation I mean is that we embrace the consequence of and thus the remedy to the fall of mankind. We embrace the con- what mankind fell into was arrogance. I'm going to take the last few minutes to talk about that. Okay? So the sown word taking root inside of a person is a miracle. It's not something that effort can produce. You can't make righteousness happen. Okay? The sown word... And what I mean is when you hear something true about God and your heart is open to let him do something with that word, not just to be like, okay, this is what it means. This is why, this is why he said it. Okay, I got that one. Pat, I'm going to put that in the box. Lock it up. I'll keep that. That's true. That's not receiving the sown word of God. Receiving the sown word of God is there's something about vulnerability and about weakness and about shame in these things that I'm hearing what is it, God, that could grow in me? Do you see what I'm saying? That's different than being like, okay, I, I understand that was the feeding of the 5,000. He did it, you know, did it this way, and that means this, and that means that. The whole world has an opinion that is caring about the Bible at all, about what those things mean and how they're connected. The whole world does. There's whole books, you know, whole universities, denominations, centuries long of that's what that means. That won't save anybody. No. I look at who he is. I look at the way he came, the way he carried his heart, and I say, I can't understand it. Holy Spirit, take something from that and put it in me and let it grow. It's different. This is, this is why we do this. We're actually not coming here to punch the clock. I mean, we say this all the time. We're coming here to see Jesus, but it's hard to even know what that means at this point. There's so much baggage on the language. But what it means is to open our hearts and, and see the manger-like nature of his kingdom, okay? I don't, I don't think I'm being very clear, but I'm really trying hard. <laughs> Holy Spirit, help me be more clear. So God is using the body to sow, of Jesus, to sow this revelation continuously and prophetically. The sown word, though, so you can be in a room and you can hear somebody sowing this reality. The sown word taking root, though, is a miracle, not something you can produce. It's not like you can hear the, even the words that I'm saying very poorly and be like, okay, I'm going to take that and do something with that thing he just said. It actually takes a miracle for something to grow. A seed grows by a miracle. Okay, in Matthew 13, 1 and 9. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Now, when Sam and I were in Capernaum, this happened in Capernaum, Peter's house, they know where that, that was, actually. There's a little synagogue about 20 feet away. Peter's house, which is about the size of this stage. And the sea is where Angie's car is. When you picture these things, do you picture this kind of proximity? It's crazy how small Capernaum is. And Capernaum to this day, now shortly after this, he said, woe to you, Capernaum. If you were to receive these miracles, it's going to be worse for you than, the, than Sodom. There's nothing there. It's just ruins in a, a little archaeological park at this point. But it's like Jesus lived in a very small area. Most of, his, most of the, the stories we read out in the Bible happened in a very small area. Okay? He, it was the last week of his life that he spent in Jerusalem, other than a, a few trips there when he was at different various points, you know, feast days. 
Jesus went out of the house, being Peter's house, and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on the stony places, and when they did not have much earth, they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. And others fell on good ground and yielded a crop. Some a hundred fold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And when Jesus is saying, he who has ears, let him hear, he's talking about what I'm talking about. This idea, it doesn't mean what you think. Open your heart. Let the Holy Spirit tell you something. Somebody can explain it to you. You can't be taught into these realities. You have to receive them. I don't, it's hard to say this. Man's effort is limited to sowing seeds of obedience in every instance of spreading the gospel. And even that should be prophetic or spirit-led. So all we can really do is come here, see something, say it, and let it go like a seed. Let it go. It's very tempting to be like, no, no, no. If I just told you some more about it, you'll get it. Okay, I'm going to write a post about it. I mean, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm going to write a post about it too. Maybe I'll write a book about it too. And then I'm going to teach it like in a series, like 8, 20, 60 times. And then I'm going to tell God how everybody here is dumb. They don't get it because they won't receive the thing that you told me. Do you see what I'm saying? Everybody feels this, not just me. We have to be a people that are willing to be vulnerable. Not that in the flesh impactful. Not that in the flesh powerful. But true in a way that what we do see will never move and eventually it will get vindicated in a way that will feel the life of for billions and billions and billions of years. It's very tempting to get burned out and quit Jesus if we think we have to be Jesus. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. If we really want to be Jesus, we'd be the Jesus in the manger. Not that looking back at history and saying, man, that really worked. When In Jesus' day, no one was saying that really worked. They were all taking bits and pieces of him to the point where they literally crucified him, tore his clothes off his body, gambled for them. They all wanted his stuff. We want his stuff. But do we want to be like Jesus? Do we want to be vulnerable? Do we want to be weak? Do we want to be lowly? Do we want, to be, do we want the manger God? Okay, so man's effort is limited to sowing seeds of obedience in every instance of spreading the gospel, and even that should be prophetic or spirit-led. I'm just going to take a couple more minutes. Matthew 7, 4 to 6. Or how can you say to your brother, remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Now, how could you minister? How could you invite? Let's say we invited, like we did the tent meeting that one time. How could we invite everybody in the city to come? 60 people come, and then we share the gospel with them and not do this, not give what is holy to the dogs, nor how would we know? How would we know if dogs and swine showed up? Wouldn't we have to listen to the Holy Spirit about what to do with that event, with that moment in time, with that, whatever he brought us? But don't when, when we plan something like that, when we, even when we hear the Holy Spirit say to plan something like that, isn't it very tempting in the process to make some determinations about what God's going to do, kind of live in the rigidity of it, and then try to push stuff? Do you see what I'm saying? 
But God's actually calling us to an entirely different reality where we're like, I'm going to do the thing. I don't really know why. But while we're doing it, I'm going to have an open heart because it's probably about me getting something and being corrected and changed. And then I'm going to shine as a witness that this vulnerability of not really getting what he's, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know why he's doing it this way. I wouldn't do it this way. That must, that's a pretty good mark. It's God if I wouldn't do it this way. And not have to explain it to everyone so that you don't look like an idiot for doing the thing that you don't even understand. You see what I'm saying? I hope this is helping. Because I feel like this is where he wants to take light up. To just doing it. To just enjoying it. To just being soft and moldable and changeable and letting him do something miraculous with it that we'll look back and be like, that's the wisdom of a humble God. And I'm not a humble man, but just agreeing with him about this process makes me more humble. That's what he's looking for. This is what the Son of God in the manger means. Now, Jesus came in the weakest. I, the, the item two is Antichrist. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because I think we actually know most of this, but I felt like God wanted me to put it in the notes. Jesus came in the weakest, least effective, according to the flesh, way possible. And you are only his if you let the Spirit make you one with this king and this kingdom. Now, I want you to think for a second about your lives, not church life, your life. Are you vulnerable at work? This is the only path to greatness. This is the only path to a name above all names, is to be vulnerable. You're vulnerable at school. Are you vulnerable in your relationships? Are you vulnerable as a wife? Are you vulnerable as a boyfriend? Are you vulnerable as a church member? Are you vulnerable in this organization? Are you vulnerable in just trying to be faithful day by day? If so, great. You're in the exact right place. But if you are trying to cover, guard, manage, manipulate, and make things work, then you're actually working counter to the very kingdom that you're part of. You're actually trying to fight your way out of the manger, out of the, the vulnerability and the, the meekness and lowliness of a child of God, okay? That means, this is what that means. You are only his if you let the Spirit make you one with this king and this kingdom. That means you need to see Jesus, every story, every teaching, every silence, every prayer, the testimony of Jesus is what I'm saying, in a way that is revealed to you, not simply consumed and regurgitated, this is the crux of what I, I'm sent to say this morning. Okay, this is the crux of it. I'm just going to read this passage, and we're going to kind of wrap it up. So when you just consume and regurgitate something that somebody sees about God, you're kind of always learning but never coming to the meekness of weakness or the real power of God. The real power of God is the vulnerability. That is the power of God. Second, that's what Adam and Eve lost in the, in the fall. They lost a sense that the vulnerability, the nakedness was good. And they, started, they, get, they got this, they fell into arrogance. They started to think the vulnerability is bad. Let's cover it up and let's do something about it. I'm talking about church, okay? 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 9. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitor, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We're here. This is... This is our day. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And the power is the vulnerability. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households. Now, when I was reading this this morning, and the Lord was talking to me, he's like, I want you to think about every evangelistic ministry you've ever been a part of or seen. They're all trying to creep into households. Here, we'll have this great dinner. Everybody come. We're just feeding you dinner. 
No, 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 I'm not, not to buy. This is what they say in, in the city of Jerusalem. Not to buy, not to buy, not to buy. Just to look, just to look. And then when you're in, this is why I really brought you here. Bye, 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 bye. That's creeping into a household. This is not the way Jesus spread the gospel at all. He didn't go around town and invite people to a free concert. Just come to the concert. We just want you to come. We just love you. We just want to be around you. No, you don't. You want them to get safe so you feel better about your own Christianity and you're not wasting your time and you're actually changing the city. That's what you want. That's about you. Jesus doesn't do it that way. He's available. He's in a manger. Shepherds know about it. Anna, Simeon, his parents know about it. Why would God do it that way? You got a whole world dying. Truth won't move. And in the end, he will have a company of people that just want They just want him because he is the most attractive king. God is the most attractive God. If we could see his patience, his humility, his gentleness, his kindness, that's what he showed us in the manger. That's what he's showing us. Having a form of godliness, but not its power, and from such people turn away, for of this sort creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Who? Who's always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth? All the people that deny its real power, not just the women loaded down with sin. He's talking about those who creep into households. Always learning. They never come to this knowledge of the vulnerability of the manger. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the results? No. Concerning the methods? No. Concerning the faith. They have no faith that God is God. They have no faith that simple obedience actually results in a kingdom that's very initial introduction to the earth is a manger kingdom. That it's Highest expression of the kingdom of Jesus is Jesus on a cross. That's victory. Victory in the kingdom of God is Jesus on a cross. It's a totally different kingdom. Jehovah Sneaky, as he's sometimes called, isn't God. God is not sneaky at all. He's uncovering everything. That's a fabrication. So is building relationships to save people, hosting barbecues to lead people to a vulnerable place to tell them about Jesus, or appealing to the flesh to get something into a person's spirit None of these are the same as the Great Commission. I can be annoyed with Sam that she doesn't get what I get, and I can do all kinds of things, little micro-manipulations to try and get her to see it. Well, if I do this thing, then she'll see it. Jesus never does that. That's not his kingdom. His kingdom is, I do the things that I do because the Father tells me to. If you can see me, you can see the Father, and then you can pick, do you like this God? You can see me, you can see the Father, then you can pick, do you like this God? It's a seed that has to be received and grown into something. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus is the manger king, laying there vulnerable in the flesh, but preserved for a destiny of eternal glory. This is the light that's come into the world. Abe, you want to come back up? The power of God is not in human strength, logic, or an emotional appeal. The power of God is the witness that begins in a manger and ends on the cross. The true work of the kingdom is laying in a manger and being the miracle. I'm trying to get everybody to experience the miracle. Laying there, being the miracle. I didn't do anything to save myself. If that's your testimony, just stand with me. I didn't do anything to save myself, actually. I worked counter to it my, most of my life. I'm still working counter to it. But there's this hope in Christ that he can take somebody who's just willing to say, I can't save myself. 
And I am certainly not going to save anybody else. Save me. Save me, God. If you want that, I just feel like there's a grace right now for a real kingdom impact. I think he wants to do something in Kalamazoo. This is always a flesh stirrer, so I'm not trying to do that. I'm actually trying to stir us up into not making anything happen. But to just be present. I don't know if you noticed this, but being present in church meetings, and even, in, even at LightHop, it's becoming harder and harder and harder. It's because we're getting frustrated that it's not having the impact that we thought it would have. We're getting impatient because we think he's, he, certainly things are happening. Maybe this isn't the place. But I want to tell you, this is the place. If you want faith, that's what, that's what was lying in the manger, faith. He's going to pour it out. You can't make yourself faithful. You can only say you want to be. Holy Spirit, in this room, I want more faith to do this. Jesus, you're worthy of a witness. You're worthy of people that pray night and day. I just want faith. Just tell them, I just want faith. But I want to go from this day and let you wash my feet. Like, what, what, do, you want to, what do you want to wash off today, Jesus? I'm not going to try and get the whole thing saved right now, and I'm not going to quit because I can't. I just want you to wash my feet. And I want to wash somebody else's feet. Holy Spirit, pour it out like, like rain right now in this room. Just pour out confidence, faith, confidence. That just simple obedience is all you want. Pour out confidence, God. Come, Holy Spirit, like a mighty rushing wind. There's four angels, two on this side, two on that side. They've got incense. They're taking the things that you're feeling, the things that you're saying. They're offering them to the Father right now. And he's pouring something down on you right now. Just receive it by faith. Just receive it by faith. It's what you need. <laughs> it's not everything. It's not nothing. It's what you need. Holy Spirit, pour out your spirit, your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.